Hey, pastors and church leaders, I wanted to take a minute and talk with you specifically about how Nothing Is Wasted can partner with you and your church in helping people navigate the valleys of pain and trauma. It doesn't take long for those in ministry to realize the incredible needs that stem from the difficulties people have walked through in their lives. In fact, it can become quite overwhelming to even begin to know how on a large scale to make your church a place where hurting people can not only find a place to belong, but also the healing they need. This is the heart behind the Nothing Is Wasted Pain to Purpose course. And and we know from pastors and church leaders just like you that this course is bringing incredible hope and healing to those within churches across the country. Listen to Pastor Kenneth Wagner of United Church in Delaware share what a difference Pain to Purpose is making in his church's DNA. As a lead pastor, it has been one of the most rewarding things for me to watch people walk through pain to purpose and to be able to see that that not only do we have a resource for them, but we've got uh, a place, an atmosphere, a community where people can come to and just work through their stuff. So if you're ready to equip your congregation with the tools it needs to heal and see the life-changing transformation from pain to purpose, not only for their own personal benefit, but so that they can better serve the church, the community, and beyond let us help. To learn more, go to nothingiswasted.com slash churches. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash churches and join churches all over the country that are bringing healing in a practical, biblical, trauma-informed way to those within their walls. Nothingiswasted.com slash churches. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, a special guest co-host, you know her, Amy Sylvester. Amy, so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Davey. I'm happy to be here and um, join you and get to introduce Andrew to our audience today. That's right. We have special guest Andrew Peterson today, which I'm really excited about, Amy, because first of all, the conversation is incredible. It's very Mm -hmm. intellectually stimulating. This guy is a thinker. He is, and you know, I just love it when someone is an artist and a thinker and they can Mm -hmm. meld all that stuff together and get, it's very provocative. The conversation is, but I'm also so excited because my son Weston is actually in the middle of reading the Mm -hmm. Wing Feather Saga. He is about to finish book three. We got it for him for Christmas that we celebrated with my family back in Thanksgiving. So he's been reading them for a little while. And um, it's really cool to see what Andrew has done here. And I just thought it was a special thing to like have this conversation with Andrew right on the coattails of, of learning about him as I was doing some research, yeah. trying to figure out what are some good books to teach our kids virtues and stories they can get caught up in. And so we do an incredible, I mean, he has a, an incredible way of talking about how to help kids wrap their heads before their prefrontal cortex, their rational side, Mm. is formulated, how to wrap their minds and hearts around God-given virtues, things that would would be um, valuable characteristics for us to impart into our kids and for them to carry with them in life. It's just such a cool, cool conversation. I'm going to have to look into it, Davey, because my oldest, I think, he's nine, so he's the same age as Weston. And so I think it sounds like something he would be excited about too. So we'll have to look into it. Absolutely, he will. Yep. I know we're going to get into it with the conversation, but I do think he's 
such an interesting interview because he brings to the table so much theology. He he says he's not a theologian or historian or whatever, yeah. but he brings so much knowledge. But he's a singer-songwriter. He's an author. Right. Like He's got a really interesting blend of personality and interest. So I yeah. um, think it's going to be good for our listeners. Well, it's a good point. I was talking to a friend of mine about having this conversation with him. And he was like, I didn't realize he was an author. This my friend said, and this friend of mine is a, um, is a musician. He's a, you know, he's been a worship leader and he's a, he's an artist. And so he had always known Andrew by his music and mm-hmm. as a recording artist um, and a songwriter, but had never known that he was an author too. And so he is very multi-talented. Yes. Um, he obviously wrote the Wing Feather Saga, which we've already talked about. Angel Studios has picked that up, and they're creating, they're making, and have started making a series on that. Um, he also has a book called A Ranger's Guide to Glipwood Forest. Um, that's the the latest in the Wing Feather Saga's latest book that he has come out with. Um, but then he's also got some other books that he's recently. They're not necessarily like kids' books or anything, but the the God of the Garden. And thoughts on creation, culture, and the kingdom, and uh, um, adorning the dark. Thoughts on community, calling, and the mystery of making. And so, mm-hmm. Andrew Peterson reminds me of like a, uh, in some ways, like a philosopher, like Wendell Berry, but weaving mm-hmm. theology into all of it. It's really amazing. I, I know that he mentions at some point, and maybe it is in um, adorning the dark, but he talks about it started from this idea of looking at trees. You remember mm-hmm. the, that thought, and um, it made me start thinking. I think it's going to be so fascinating for our listeners because I think when you say, think about a tree, you think that's like, what? But if you really start thinking about it, I, I have multiple trees that influence my childhood. Right. So, And then he talks about, we'll get into it, obviously, with the conversation, but he talks about um, having a moment with, with the Lord in the trees and just being reminded mm. that he's not alone. And he talks about his depression and his yeah. um, anger with God. And so I think it's going to be sweet for our listeners to be reminded. And for me, when I was listening to be reminded um, that Jesus has gone through his own agony um, and that he's in it with us. So yeah. anyway, it's just that little, little um, teaser for this conversation okay. about how he connects trees and even in the Bible. So so yeah. good, so good. Yeah. Well, we're going to dive into the conversation here in a second, but I'll make sure that I remind everybody, this is kind of the turn of a new year. We haven't had very many podcast episodes yet this year, but I want to invite you, if you're looking to take a next step, if you're trying to figure out what your first step is in your healing process, I want to invite you to join us, nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Um, and I conduct a Zoom call every so often. Sometimes it's live. Sometimes it's not live. It just kind of depends on the particular day. But most of the time we try to keep a live Zoom call where I can interact with you. And I'm going to teach you five steps to taking back your story, no matter what you've gone through. And this is just a really special time to connect. It's always a special ministry time that goes on. And really what we want to do is we want to resource you with the tools, the principles, that you're going to need as anchors to walk through and navigate your valley, whatever it is that you're going through. So go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. You can click the link in the show notes or underneath the YouTube video right here. But let's go ahead, Amy, and dive into my conversation with Andrew Peterson. And then on the back half of this podcast episode, you and I will talk and discuss a little bit more about that conversation. Andrew Peterson, it's so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me, man. Good to be here. 
You know, I shared this off air with you. I wanted to make sure our community heard this. This is such a providential thing because I was just trying to figure out a book series that I could walk through with Weston, my, my son who's nine. And I'm, I'm vetting through all the stuff that he's going to the library and he's picking up. I'm like, I don't think that's appropriate for you. I don't think, you know, there's all kinds of different reasons. I'm throwing out these, what the world would say are these great epic sagas. And I'm like, is there anything out there that is going to be, uh, 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 something that's going to promote virtue and a, a, a whole, a holy, uh, you know, I don't even know how to say it, but like, is there something that's going to help my kid to really begin to instill these characteristics that I want in this fantasy epic? And uh, lo and behold, I come across your series. And then this morning I realized I'm having a conversation with you. This is so providential. <laughs> it's so like, these glad. are the times that God goes this right here. This is what you need to be doing. So I think it's for me. And I think it's for everybody who's watching this on YouTube and listening. You need it. If you have kids, you need to pick up this book series. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, let's, we're going to talk a little bit about it. First, I want people to understand and know who you are. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Andrew, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about your story and some of the things that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, well, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and um, my wife, Jamie, and I have been married for 28 years now, I think. You know, we're the age where neither of us can remember exactly the number anymore. I think it's 28 <laughs> years. And, uh, but, but we have uh, uh, three kids who are grown now. And um, my oldest and his wife, um, they're both illustrators and uh, visual artists. Mm. And they just had their first baby, my first grandbaby, uh, which I'm very, very grateful for. She's actually being babysat at the house right now by my wife, which is, a, she's in heaven. Uh, and then uh, my... My other son is a music producer. He and his wife are out on the road right now. And then my daughter is getting married in about three weeks. So we, we're in a season of craziness. Uh, lots and lots of big, big life changes right now. Um, so yeah, that's, that's um, I, I belong to a church here in Nashville. And um, we moved here about 25, no, 26 years ago. Uh, my wife and I got married when we were in college. We moved up here for music. And so I... I mean, I still think of myself mainly as a singer songwriter, um, mm. even though the books have, have taken over and, uh, and that's, um, you know, m- more and more, I feel like that's, um, that's what I'm doing, but I still love to do shows and I still tour around sometimes. And, uh, but yeah, I've been a songwriter and, and probably after my third record, um, my third label album came out, I, I had the guts to really sit down and try to write my first novel and, um, something that I'd wanted to do since I was a kid. And that was book one of the Wingfeather saga. So for the next 10 years, I bounced back and forth between making records and writing a book, making records and writing a book. And, and uh, it's just been, it was exhausting, but it was also uh, one of the greatest joys of my whole life to get to, to express, you know, different, different ways of storytelling, uh, whether it was through songs or books. So um, anyway, yeah, that's wow. kind of who I am and what I do. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, Anybody who's listening to this, who's a writer, I think would probably resonate with this, that it's one thing to write memoir. It's one thing to write just kind of personal journey of things that have that have actually happened, but actually sit down, like you said, the guts to sit down and write a novel. <laughs> That's a, I mean, I, you know, I imagine like the big, you know, like CSI, big mapping and stuff. I'm like, I don't even know how you would approach that. Maybe at some point I'll get to ask you like, what's your process with all of that stuff? Cause I have a, a dream to do the same thing. But it's yeah. so much easier to write the didactic preachy books, you know, the things that are like, okay, here's a sermon and a book kind of deal. Yeah. And so amazing. And it's been a, such an enriching thing for um, so many 
kids and teenagers across the the world. I'm I'm so I'm proud of you for doing that, and I'm excited about having this conversation with you. You know, but recently you just you just released this book. It's a memoir, The God of the Garden. Mm. Thoughts on creation, culture, and the kingdom. And it's uh, a very honest book about your own journey and your struggle with depression. Mm. And um, I, I'm, I, I would love to dive into that a little bit. You know, what, yeah. what was the, um, obviously that was really the impetus behind the book, but can you share a little bit about some of the, some of that struggle, some of that journey? Um, yeah. And, you know, depression well, is, I, is one of the know, things that continues to revisit. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been, it, it was, um, you know, the songs that I was always drawn to, um, as a music listener were, you know, the, the ones where people were, it sounded like they were taking a risk, you know, and they're, they were telling a little bit of their mm. story was really arresting. And so Rich Mullins, um, who died what, 26 years ago now, um, he, he was the first Christian that I heard who was writing from a place of broke, real brokenness and honesty, and, but also infused with a lot of scripture and a lot of truth. Mm. And that, that was something that I, I asked God if I could do. I was like, man, I would love to tell, tell my story. And, and if, you know, as a Christian, if I'm telling my story, well, then really what I'm telling is, is Jesus's story in me. And, uh, and so, um, so yeah, so that has always been something that I believe in. Uh, that that the idea that you if you if we pay attention to our lives, which is a phrase I lifted from Frederick Beekner, who's a great memoirist, um, that idea of paying attention to your life it's one of the best ways to see God's work in your own life, you know. And so, uh, so at some point, you know, after the Wingfeather Saga was finished, um, I I wanted you know I sometimes get asked to. Um, to talk about um, the cre- creative work, you know, I'll, I'll go teach places or, or lecture or whatever, and um, on on the creative process and what it means to be a Christian who's trying to make art, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And after a while, I was like, I should just write this stuff down. And I found myself in the process of writing down, you know, these these. I mean, honestly, they're opinions. I'm I'm not an academic, <laughs> but mm. they are well earned opinions. You know, they're opinions that I've I've kind of gathered over you know, a few decades of, of playing music and learning to write stories and trying to follow Jesus. And, and so, uh, anyway, I found that in the, in the writing of this book called Adorning the Dark, that I I couldn't get away from, uh, the fact that my struggles with depression, like emotional problems, some trauma were, were a real heavy part of, um, um, what it was that drove my creative work, you know? Mm. And so anyway, all that to say, by the time um, COVID rolled around 2020, um, if you're a touring musician uh, who's been praying for years for a sabbatical um, and then all of a sudden there's a pandemic and, and you're told <laughs> you can't tour for a year, uh, it, was a, it was a mixed blessing for me. Um, yeah. you know, it was obviously a very terrible time for so many people. But for me, I, I got to come home and be home for a year, which I'd never done in my adult life. And, uh, and I, my, my publisher reached out and was like, Hey, do you want to write a book? And I was like, well, I don't really have any ideas for a book right now. So, so no. And then I realized that COVID wasn't ending. So I called him back and I was like, Hey, can I maybe write a book? So, (laughs) so I ended up, uh, uh, kind of sitting there staring at my computer thinking, what do I want to write about? And, um, 
And it, the weird thing was I couldn't stop thinking about trees. And I know that sounds strange. I, I, there's this little writing group. We would get together and kind of kick around ideas. And uh, they were like, Andrew, what's your new book about? And I was like, I don't know, but I can't stop thinking about trees. <laughs> and uh, and we live out in the countryside and I, I'm a gardener and a beekeeper. And, and, and I love, I, I've planted a bunch of trees on our property. But uh, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to start writing about trees and see what happens. So I started writing about trees that I remember. Um, and it, it kind of became an interesting exercise because I started asking people, do you remember any trees from when you were a kid? Like, are there any trees that stand out in your story? And I never had, I always got a yes. And then there would be some story about, oh, at my grandma's house, I used to climb in this tree or, or whatever. There's a tree that I planted. Um, and so then I, I stumbled on uh, the Bible Project, which I love, and um, their podcast, they did a series on trees in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I was riveted by it. And they actually said at one point, um, they're, you know, trees are, you know, as, as uh, lenses through which to understand the story of Scripture, there's no better candidate than trees. So they were like, mm. start reading your Bible and underline every time a tree is mentioned. Starting with the Garden of Eden to Abraham at the Oak of Morah and uh Jesus being crucified on what, you know, in Acts they called the tree, the tree of life and revelation. So it was just fascinating to dive into this. So I started writing about trees and I realized that um, trees became this like uh, way for me to look at some of the biggest, most painful moments of my entire life. And uh, I, it's not, you know, the, to, it's not like I'm saying that like, you, you know, God is any more present where there are trees. <laughs> He's present everywhere, yeah. right? Um, but um, for me, at least, it, it maybe it was a little easier to sense God's presence when I was in the company of trees and, and the quietness of His creation, and I could I could really pay attention. Um, and so I, anyway, all that to say, the the I didn't set out to write a book that explored trauma and depression and uh, and God's abiding presence with us in those seasons, but that's what the, the book kind of accidentally ended up being about. And wow. so, uh, you know, culminating in, you, you know, one of, one of the, the most, uh, like I've never, I don't know what, how would you, um, if you would call it an epiphany technically, mm-hmm. but one of the moments in my journey as a Christian that was in some ways the most defining was when I was in the middle of a really, really tough season, like 20 years ago. And uh, was angry at God, um, felt very alone, and uh, didn't, I, I, you know, I was just in a bad place. And a friend of mine told me um, to go to this monastery in Kentucky called the Abbey of Gethsemane, which is where mm. Thomas Merton, the f- famous writer, he, he was a monk there. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, I, I'm not Catholic, um, but I, I grew up reading fantasy novels. So the, the idea of going to a monastery in the hills with a bunch of monks was super <laughs> cool to me. So I, <laughs> I went to this monastery and, um, you know, it was, it was a, it felt like a giant waste of time. I was there for three days, mm. couldn't sleep. All I could think about was, Lord, I'm here. I'm doing everything right. I'm fasting. I'm praying. And you're still so maddeningly silent. Why won't you answer me? You know? And, uh, and looking back, I can see the foolishness of that. You know, demand it's like standing outside the office and banging on the office door for the manager saying, I demand an audience. And uh, mm. that isn't how he works always, you know. And so anyway, at the end of that, uh, that time, I was really frustrated. I woke up before dawn, grabbed my backpack, threw it in my trunk and was going to leave the monastery. 
And right as I was, uh, I closed the trunk, I saw a sign pointing into the woods. It was a footpath that led into the woods and it just said to the statues. And, uh, um, I, I won't tell the whole long story, but but it ended up leading me as I walked through these these desolate, frozen woods in January. Um, in the silence, as the sun came up, I stumbled on this cross—not uh, a cross, a statue of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, hmm. surrounded by trees. Of course, I was surrounded by trees, but so was he in that moment, you know. Hmm. And uh, and I stood there in the clearing, and I saw this this Jesus who was. Um, in agony, you know, total agony. And uh, not long after that, he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, I, I realized that I was not alone in my pain, that, that um, there is no religion that can claim that their God understands loneliness like, like Christianity can, you know, or, or um, the feeling of being uh, abandoned by God, you know. Yeah. But to know that Jesus knew that uh, didn't take my pain away. But I now knew that I wasn't alone in my pain, and, and mm. it gave strength for the journey. So that's one of the stories in the book. But but that wow. I ended up un- unearthing a whole bunch of that kind of thing in the process of writing the book. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment to connect you with a free resource that I know will be helpful in your pain to purpose journey. It's our free seven day devotional that you can sign up for right. Now, with this devotional, you'll get seven daily devotions that I wrote. We'll deliver them directly to your inbox each morning for seven days. These are adapted from our Pain to Purpose 42-day devotional and are full of daily scripture readings, questions to reflect upon, and prayer prompts to help you focus your heart. If you're looking for some encouragement in whatever you're facing, this is it. And listen, the best part about it, it's completely free. All you have to do is go to Devo. Dot nothingiswasted.com. Again, that's D E V O dot nothingiswasted.com to sign up for this seven day devotional. Now, I don't know your story, but what I do know is that God isn't done with it. Whether you've endured a recent loss, a divorce, an unexpected diagnosis, or some other painful reality, God wants to give you hope when it seems like all hope is lost. Let's take seven days together to find that hope in whatever you're walking through. Sign up today at devo.nothingiswasted.com. bring up this really interesting point um i i was just with a with a widower kind of spending a, a day and a half with him just ministering to him and he was talking about wanting to write about his journey you know and one of the things we talk about a lot is how important it is to whether it's for an audience or whether it's just for yourself just to, to begin writing down your journey and to specifically see motifs or themes that emerge mm-hmm. And of course, you're an artist, you have a very prophetic voice, and, and that's a, a very important part of it, obviously, with this book, too, the theme of trees. But in, in, in your own perspective, why is that such an important? It seems like themes that emerge in our story are, are things God uses to pull us through our story, to pull us through the mm. healing process of that stuff. But 
What, what would you say to that? Why is that such an important thing for us to be aware of that stuff, to be cognizant of those themes? Well, I mean, we're, we are fundamentally imaginative creatures. You know, it's one of the things that, that I think, uh, it's one of the ways that we bear out the image of God um, is that we have been given this imagination, this ability to either to see things that aren't there, you know, like to, to conjure up things or to see things that are there, but have been obscured. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and I think that's maybe the more important part of that is that, um, you know, our vision gets clouded and uh, there's a lot of noise and it takes a lot of imagination to, to look through the, the weeds to see the flowers. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And to, and to pay attention to what's going on. Yeah. Theme is fascinating to me because like, well, with the wing feather saga, for example, um, you know, people have talked about the Christian themes that have shown up in that book, but uh, I didn't, I mean, I didn't really set out to put a, write a book that was fraught with Christian themes. I just, mm-hmm. I wanted to write a really awesome adventure story for my kids mm-hmm. and, uh, and just trust the Holy Spirit with whatever themes he wanted to pull out, he could do. I'm just going to sit down and try my best, uh, my, my feeble best at writing a, a great story, you know, and uh, and then it's not until you finish, you're fighting your way through the brush of your of your first draft, that you then go back to to see, okay, what have I got? What what is this story that I've been spending the last year or two writing? And that's when you start to notice, oh oh, there is a theme that's popping up, and then in the second draft is when you get to like shape that stuff to make the story kind of cohesive. And so, uh, in a sense, you know, we're all living the first draft. <laughs> mm. you know, we're, we're wandering our way through. We don't really know where we're going. We don't know what, how is this story going to end? I don't know. But then the older you get and with, with a little bit of wisdom and, and uh, a, a little bit of earned discernment, you, you get to look back and see, oh yeah, I see now what was happening. You know, there's this wonderful gift of hindsight that we have. So yeah, I think that's the thing is like, I mean, Frederick Buechner, um, Telling Secrets is this amazing book. You're a, you're a pastor, so mm-hmm. it, it was written for pastors. I think every pastor should read it. It's an amazing mm-hmm. book about that very thing, having the guts to look at your story mm-hmm. very honestly and, and to really um, carefully um, try to figure out how to, what, what it is that God is telling you by listening to mm-hmm. your life. Um, as a songwriter, that's happened so many times where I've, I've sat down with some random story that I I'm like, why, why can't I stop thinking about this weird little thing that happened? And when you're out of song ideas, you sit down and you go, well, I guess I'll just write about this weird little thing that happened. And in the process Mm -hmm. of writing that song that, you know, sometimes that memory is lodged in your brain because God wants you to understand something about his heart, you know? And so, yeah, I, I really highly recommend that. Uh, the the practice of writing as a way of understanding um, the story that God is telling with your life. Um, and I also just think, um, you know, so many pastors that I meet um, tend to read theology. Um, uh, and I'm always excited when I meet a pastor who loves novels, you know, mm. <laughs> or movies or whatever, who loves stories. Um, because I think that there's, it's two sides of the same coin, you know, it, it's yeah. like, and I, and I, I have a hunch that that's part of the reason why um, C.S. Lewis's works have lasted, uh, Tolkien's works, Eugene Peterson wrote poetry, uh, Walt yeah. Wongren wrote, you know, books of theology and, and novels. So there's this wonderful uh, rounding out of your theology that happens when you kind of understand these things in theory. And yeah. then novels are a way to 
quote unquote practice, you know, kind of live out this thing that you've been learning. And and I think that both of them inform each other. You know, there's like, I learned something about the heart of God through the process of writing a novel that I couldn't have learned any other way. Mm. Um, And, uh, and I think you could say the same thing about theology. There are things that you can learn about really digging into scripture and learning from these great minds that you can't learn in any other way, but man, to, to try to honor both and, and understand that stories are the way it's, this is the way that, um, we've been wired to understand things. This is why Jesus obviously mm. used parables. So, um, yeah, that's so good. I think it's a shame when sometimes you get folks who are on, particularly, it seems like the real heavy-handed binary side of the spectrum, where all they're they're just going, oh, okay, all theology, all theology, all doctrine, 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 mm. and their criticism of story is that maybe that writer took too much liberty with mm. theology created too much mystery, created too much, you know, and mm. I think that's a shame because I think like what you said, we, we miss, we miss out. It's mm. like, we're trying to play the piano with one hand rather than with both hands, you know? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's not like one is better than the other either. You know, right. it's, it's, uh, I just read a great old book called, um, Borderlands by a guy named Roger Lloyd. Somebody gave it to me a little tiny book, mm. but he was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, like an Anglican, um, theologian, I guess, in, in, uh, the sixties, I think. Anyway, he was talking, talking about borderland writers, you know, the ones that I was talking about, Dorothy Sayers, who wrote theology and murder mysteries. And, uh, you know, there's this, uh, there's certain, certain people kind of live on that border between the two. And he, he makes the case in this book that, um, obviously one is not better than the other, but theologians need artists to, to like interpret these ideas, you know, for the common man almost, right? Uh, for people who aren't going to read theology, they need stories to understand it. And then sometimes the artist is, is, you know, the theologian who's reading the artist is having his own work translated back to him in a way that's helping him go, oh, I see. Mm. And uh, so it's not that one's better than the other. It's just that, you know, artists and theologians just need to, to be friends, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's few between, between isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of artists that probably need to read more theology and philosophy and yeah. nonfiction, and a lot of a lot of theologians that need to read more novels and listen to better music. You know? Yeah, that's great. Seems like you, it, it to me from the outside looking in, seems like you kind of stand in the gap between the two of them in a lot of ways, trying to trying yeah, to bridge well, that gap. I, I don't, I'm not doing it on purpose. I just, I, I just follow, I follow my nose. You know, I, <laughs> I. Uh, you know, it's fun to, to, to read a, a book. Well, like a C.S. Lewis book, like the great divorce, which is not straight up theology or, or, um, right. or, or fiction. It's just kind of this weird experiment. Right. right. Um, but George McDonald shows up in, in the great divorce. And I was like, who's George McDonald? And went back and read, you know, this Scottish guy from the 1800s yeah. and who's, who's doing that too. And so you, you, by following your nose, you end up happening upon, really great theologians, really yeah. great poets. And, uh, and I just, I'm, you know, I'm not a, some expert on any of this, but I, I'm mm. drawn to, I'm drawn to a lot. I have a wide interest, you know, like mm. somebody asked me what kind of books I like to read. I think when I was in high school, I would have said fantasy novels. Um, and there's probably a season where I would have said theology, but now I just want to read good books. Like mm. whatever the genre is, if it's good and beautiful and true, then, um, then there's something that we can learn about the heart of God by reading it. Wow. Wow. That's good. You know, you said something earlier that really struck me. It it was something to the effect of like you had realized that so much of your 
um, so much of your creative endeavors were correlated with so much of like the, the, the pain that you had gone through, but you almost, almost unwittingly, you didn't, didn't realize it, but like your greatest creations were coming out of this place of, of pain. I have, uh, I'm thinking of one friend particularly that he would say the same thing is true. He's an incredible creative, but he struggles with a lot of really dark thoughts, depression. And it seems to me that those, those correlate a lot. I look back in history and look at some of the incredible works, right? And you study the lives of these, these men and women who are so creative and they, and, but they wrestled with some deep, dark stuff. And it seems to me there's a correlation between diving deep into, you know, an introspection and reflection, being very thoughtful and also wrestling with some darkness there. Mm-hmm. Can you give me some insight into that as you've really uncovered that? And I, I guess I ask that to encourage people who feel the same way. They're like, I can't reconcile the two of these things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It, uh, it's hard to write a song when you're happy. Um, I, it's like ha- happy songs are, are just harder for me to write. And f- I would say for most people. And, and yet be- that seems to be the majority of the church songs that we play today. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. all like happy and triumph. And it's like, where's our lament songs? You know, where's our ones that just don't, you know, that leave yeah, us suspended the, a little I think, bit. I totally. And I think the, the, the trick is just to hold on to both things. Like mm. I've been to church services where they were so lament heavy that I was mm. dying. And other ones, of course, where, where it's so happy, there's no space for the people who are grieving. So, like the the Christian life has room for both, you know. So, mm. in my in my humble opinion, not so humble opinion, maybe that you know, a church service ought to make room for for the the breadth of experiences that everyone in the room is going through, you know. So mm. there should be the psalms are that way. They're buoyant, joyful psalms, and also, and it's sometimes in the same psalm, anger and um, and lament and uh questioning so anyway i i it's funny looking back at my music career specifically um i know that there were seasons where my my wife would would be like oh you're making a record this year oh man what bad thing are we going to go through that's going to inspire the next Hmm. batch of songs you know and so uh she would say that you know a, a little bit uh jokingly but we also knew that it was true like there was there was going to be some kind of some kind of uh, trial that would that would give birth to this next uh, uh, revelation isn't necessarily an insight into mm. what the gospel is and how it how it um, shapes us and so yeah but I, I just I, I just hap- happen to think that suffering shapes our hearts and our hearts are constantly being shaped into the likeness of Christ and so um, that it's not fun I wish it wasn't that way but there is. Mm a very clear theology of suffering in the new Testament. I mean, it's just there. This is, this is part of the deal. And, um, I, I, I wish it wasn't so, but, but I think we all know once we've survived something like that, that we can see the ways the Lord is, is redeeming it. Um, you know, the, not to get super nerdy, but I'm going to get super nerdy. Um, get super nerdy. That's okay. I'm, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you take uh, that time to do that. I love the Lord of the Rings. I just think it's mm. one of the greatest books ever written. And um, but I've never read the Silmarillion, which is his like you know history of Middle Earth. Um, I'm going to one of these days, but and people have told me that they think they like it better, but I just can't get my head around it. Um, but anyway, I have started it, and in the first chapter, uh, Tolkien writes the creation account of Middle Earth, and it's mm. this amazing. And, you know, he was a, he was a strong believer. And so it's fun to see his theology show up, but in the, in the creation of middle earth, the way he tells it is that 
God basically gives these angel type creatures a song to sing. And he's like, go sing this song. And they're singing the song probably for ages and they don't understand why they're singing the song. And then the God of this world kind of pulls the curtain back and says, the song that you've been singing has been making this, this new uh, earth or whatever. Mm. And so they see this creation that the song was giving birth to, but then one of the angels rebels. And uh, I think his name's Melkor or something rebels and decides that he wants to destroy the song, the symphony that the maker has given. And so he starts at, uh, kind of like sewing in discord and, mm. uh, and notes that are uh, dissonant into the, into the symphony and, and the maker in his great wisdom says, Oh, you think you're ruining the symphony, but you're just making it better. Like mm. <laughs> he says, you think you're messing this song up, but, but the addition of these notes is just going to make the final resolution that much more powerful. Um, wow. and it's, it's, it's a wonderful, uh, metaphor for, for how to understand suffering. And, and, um, you know, I have a friend who says that wow. Satan is God's errand boy. Um, and, uh, which I, I don't want to think overthink that, but the point is just that, um, the Lord, um, re can redeem anything, you know, mm. he, he just can. So, uh, uh, I, it's, it's kind of our only hope. My, my, probably my favorite lyric that I've ever written is in a song, called Don't You Want to Thank Someone. In the last verse, it says, um, maybe it's a better thing to be more than merely innocent, but to be broken and then redeemed by love. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so the, the idea that like in God's great wisdom, it's, you know, the ancient Christians called it um, the happy fall. You know, the fact that the fall, the brokenness, the suffering, like we don't, th there's a mystery involved because obviously we don't want to, I don't think God takes any pleasure in, in people's suffering, but um, in some sense, there he is more glorified by the redemption of something that was broken by something that was never broken at all. Mm. Um, and, and I, I don't want to die on that hill. There may be somebody out there listening who's like, "Oh, that's heresy." I, I don't think it is. I, 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 yeah, I could be wrong, but that, but that's what I've experienced. I, I know that yeah. I have experienced my own heart growing in grace because of the suffering that I've, I've, um, yeah, gone through. So, and that happens to be a, a great way to to write songs. One, one sure. more thing I would say, since you brought up yeah. your friend, uh, is just that, um, we also have to be careful to not overshare or share too soon. You know, mm. when you're, we're, you're processing your grief, you can't make your audience, your counselor, you know, you, I I've been guilty of that, you know, to write a song in the depths of my despair. And then that night I've got a show and I'm like, I'm going to play it tonight. And then things get weird. It feels kind of like, oh, you know, nobody knows what to do. There's, that guy on stage is going through a thing right now, right in front of everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that, that's not a good, yep. there's not, it's not wise. And so Walt Wongren Jr., who's a great novelist who died, or theologian novelist who died last year, he said, he wrote very frankly about his failings in his memoirs about being a pastor. And, uh, Somebody asked him about, hey, how do you do that? What's the wise way to write about your own brokenness, your own failings? And his answer was that you have to wait long enough to see the redemptive arc in your own story before that, that, that story is something that you are now allowed to share. Like, so, wow. um, you know, and I don't think that's a hard and fast rule, but there's a lot of wisdom in that. And like, um, waiting, wait until you're talking about the thing in the past tense before you stand on the stage and begin to like hold forth on how it's shaped you. Um, wow. I, I think there's, 
some truth in that. So I've been yeah. guilty of doing it the other way. But, I, you know, I know um, my album, The Burning Edge of Dawn, was the one I wrote kind of uh, coming out of this three-year season of depression. And uh, I was terrified to write that record. But but by the end of the album, I realized the spring had come, you know, and mm. and the long mud season was over, and I was able to write about it in the past tense. Hey friends, I know some of you guys are listening to this because you're currently going through something difficult, but some of you guys are listening to this because these resources at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, these stories that you're hearing, they're providing you a lot of help as you're helping other people who are going through a difficult time. So let me ask you this. Do you have a friend or a loved one who has gone through a really difficult season of tragedy or trauma or major life transition? Has someone you cared about recently shared their struggles and pain with you? Did you wonder what you could do to help this person engage in their story and find deeper healing. We, we've we all been there. It can, it can feel helpless to witness someone you love walking through a valley of suffering after loss or betrayal or divorce or some other set of circumstances that, that have left them reeling. You probably even thought, I wish there was more that I could do. Well, good news, there is. And Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, we offer an ever-growing expanse of resources for helping people navigate through pain of all kinds. But I want to share with you one resource that you may be able to help with right now as you're walking with a hurting friend or family member. Our free live five steps to taking back your story Zoom call with me will help point your hurting friend toward practical steps that they can take right now to move from pain into newfound healing and purpose. And listen, it's completely free. They'll have a chance after I spend some time teaching and sharing my own journey of pain to purpose, they'll have a chance to ask questions and engage with me. And as someone who has been in their shoes after trauma and tragedy has upended my life, um, I I understand what it feels like. And so I want to invite them. Actually, I want to invite you to invite them to come be a part of this five steps to taking back your story, no matter what you've gone through. All they have to do is sign up at nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash start here to make plans to join me for this next live call. You can even you can even offer to attend the Zoom call with them, whether you're doing it with them in person or virtually. But nothingiswasted.com slash start here is where you would want to register. It's hard to know how to best love and serve those around us who are hurting, but this is one way that you can practically help your friend in pain. Send them a text or an email today and invite them to join me for the next free live five steps to taking back your story zoom call can't wait to see you guys there when i interview somebody who um begins to bring out all these different authors that i've never heard of and i'm like okay now i'm writing that down i'm gonna go (laughs) thank you for that the yeah Secondly, though, you just brought up I me, mean, you started to go down this this path a little bit. It reminds me of something you talk about quite a bit. You've written about the importance of bearing witness. You know, and what you just said right there is there's timing is really important in terms of when to bear witness, that you need to be able to see the story arc or the story arc of redemption in your story before you can bear witness to that. And it's more it's more prudent to do it that way. But when you say that when you talk about bearing witness, what is it what does that mean? Just kind of explain your thoughts on that. Why does it matter? Hmm. How do we how do we do it well? If you have any other insights into that, other than just timing, yeah. Um, well, um, 
I heard somebody say a long time ago, beware of people who are the heroes of their own stories. <laughs> mm. um, and I, and yeah. I think when it comes to bearing witness, like um, that make sure you do it in a way that to where God is the hero of the story that you're telling that, that um, so good, yeah. which, you know, in the Psalms, there's wonderful. Uh, it says this multiple times, but just the idea that uh, we make known the deeds of the Lord among the nations. And so I was mm. I was doing shows in Scotland last month, and uh, it was funny. I was over there um, for the summer and ended up agreeing to do a few solo shows. I usually play with a band or, or um, whatever here in the States, but I, I had a guitar, and, and I was like, oh, man, yeah, I'd love to go do some shows. Old school, you know. <laughs> um, and and there was something so wonderfully uh, uh, calibrating about basically going back in time 30 years in my career and standing on a stage with just me and a guitar and a piano for mm. two hours, trying to figure out a way to, to carry the show, you know, and entertain quote unquote, but also um, <laughs> try to serve this audience as well as I could. And, and I had this real strong sense while I was up there that I was like, Oh, I'm getting, God's letting me do the thing that the psalmist talked about. Like I'm yeah. literally making known the deeds of the Lord among the nations. And I think that if that's, mm. if that's the thrust of your story, um, that's how you bear witness. And, and so yeah. you don't know yet the, those specific deeds of the Lord in your own heart until you can stand back from it and look and then marvel at the way God has, look what he did. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, I was, you know, I was shaking my fist at the heavens. I could, didn't think I would ever survive this mm. season, but I did, you know, and, mm. and when, the, the your the posture of your heart is is healthy i think you you have no choice in that moment but to give thanks and mm. to the lord and draw attention to what he has done not the fact that you survived but the fact that he sustained you right yeah yeah um and so that's bearing witness and and i think it's hard to do until there's something to bear witness to when you're in the middle of it you're all you can bear witness to is the desolation right yeah um, and so you, you have to survive and, you know, in my experience, I don't know if you would resonate with this, uh, but the two lies that I experienced uh, in my depression, uh, like, I think the thing that the enemy wanted me to believe was one, I'm alone. Um, and two, this is forever. Wow. So when you're in it, you feel like there is no one who could understand this. I I'm, I'm abandoned and you feel like this is never going to end. Right. Um, yeah. and so if you can fight back at those two lies, like remind yourself, mm. no, I'm in this with fellow believers. I'm in this, the Holy spirit abides in me, but also all of creation, uh, preaches the sermon that spring follows winter. Right. Mm. Um, no, everything that God has made testifies to the fact that there is, this glorious re resurrection after death. And so um, we can cling to those two truths um, anyway. Wow. Wow. So good. I love that, you know, bearing witness, don't be the hero of your own story. You know, I mean, you're a Nashville guy, so I'm sure you're familiar with Donald Miller and the story brand and all that stuff. And one of the things that I was, when I, I was so captivated by when I learned the whole storyline process from him, um, was the fact that there are these guides that come along the character's journey and bring insight and, you know, a plan for the uh -huh. journey. 
And I started looking at my own journey of healing, especially, and, and going, man, there's all these different guides. And what I've found, Andrew, is so power, it's, it's so much more powerful when I share, and this is for anybody who's like, okay, how do I share my story? It's so much more powerful when I share my story to go, um, yeah, so I, I, then I encountered this person and they shared this with me or they taught me this. And it was like, oh, wow, right? And for whatever reason, it's so much more both palatable and powerful for the audience because now they're not looking at me. They're looking at this insight that this other guru brought yeah, to me, yeah. this Yoda in my life or whatever. And then the, then the glory is turned around to the Lord too. And you've done that already in a couple of moments in this conversation. You're like, well, you know, read this guy and he said this and mm. this thing right here, right? And it's like, I think sometimes as we're telling our story or we're trying to build some kind of credibility in telling our story, we we can have a temptation to slip into this idea of like, okay, I got to let people know what I know. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, no, it's actually a lot more powerful when you let them into the experience of revelation that you had mm-hmm. from somebody else or from the Lord. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah, you know? I think that's so true. And you know, and what, the thing that popped into my head when you were talking was this uh, C.S. Lewis essay called... Um, um, meditation in a tool shed or on a tool shed. Mm. Something like that. It's, it's this kind of obscure. Um, I think it's more about philosophy, but what, what I took from this, the metaphor that he uses is this idea that if you're in a tool shed, uh, an old kind of uh, rusty tin roof tool shed, and there's a hole in the, in the ceiling and mm. the, the beam of light that comes down through that hole. And, you know, it's a dusty shed. So you can see this gorgeous beam of light coming in from outside. Um, and the beam of light is beautiful. Uh, but he says something else happens when you go and you stand in the beam and you look along the beam and now you're not looking at the, the motes of dust. You're looking through the ceiling at the leafy world outside. And uh, mm. I just think <laughs> it's, it's a great, you know, he's a Plato guy. So it's very platonic. <laughs> I think. But the, the, uh, the, the idea, I think of it the way that my brain makes sense of that is I love songs. I love books. I love stories. You know, I, 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 um, I love enjoying the beam of light and there's nothing wrong with enjoying the beam of light. Like it's really good to, to look at that thing. Uh, but then come stand inside the beam and look along it. And there's this entire world that you can't even imagine just, mm. just on the outside, like look for the source of the light, not just the beam. So, um, wow. it starts with the beam that, but then, don't forget that there's the sun that's out there illuminating a whole forest above the tool shed. And so, uh, so I think that's, wow. that's part of the truth is like we, we can become so enamored with our own stories that we think we are the beam of light, you know, mm. uh, and uh, we're enamored with stories period that we forget that, Oh, there's a source, you know, there's, there's yeah. a thing that this came from. So don't, don't get so fascinated by art and music and story or theology or sermons right. that you forget that these are, these are, uh, beautiful, uh, illuminated, um, things that have their source in, in God. Yeah. But yeah. Don't forget the source, you know? Mm. So, um, <clears throat> anyway, yeah, I, I, lo- I, I'm, I, I'm almost every good line in my song. I can't tell you how many times somebody has written, written me an email and said, man, I like your album, but this one line really got me. And it's always either a line I lifted from some book I wrote, read, uh, or, or a line that like the co-writer wrote, you know, and it's, and it's, it's a great feeling. It's like, Oh man, I got to be a part of something, you know, wow. that, that drew attention to something other than, you know, me or whatever. So, wow. uh, that, that's me on my good days. Yeah. Yeah. If, if it's yeah. a bad day, I'm like, man, I Come get on. 
Yeah. <laughs> Can I get the credit for anything? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, let's shift briefly. I know our time's starting to run short, but let, let's, I want to talk about the wing feather saga because, you know, the same friend that I was referencing earlier, he's masterful at, you know, if they watch movies or something with his, with his kids, then he'll pause the movie and he'll be like, Hey, so what just happened right here? You know, he, mm-hmm. and I, he, it, whether it's like Harry Potter or whether it's, you know, something that actually is inherently <clears throat> biblical, you know, the, across the spectrum, he'll pause the movie. He'll go, what are you picking up right now? And he always brings it back to this, some concept of virtue. And, uh, you know, that really draw that that's something that draws my heart, right? When I think about my kids, I've got three kids, 10, nine, three at the time of this recording. And so I'm always, I'm like, man, I want them to understand certain things that, Maybe from a very didactic perspective, they're not going to they're not going to learn this in a school book. Mm-hmm. You you alluded earlier as to why you started writing this series, and uh, and then later it was in retrospect it became a little bit more purposeful even as you were in the process of it. But why is it why is that series so important to you now? Hmm. Why why is that such an, a a fundamental? This is a if you were <clears throat> I know you're the author, so you're, it's hard to be the salesperson of that as well, but. You're like, this is why this is so important in this time of history to bring our kids along in story. Yeah. Uh, trying to think of which of the 12 possible answers I could give to that question. Um, <laughs> give as when, many as you want. <laughs> the, the, uh, well, one thought that came to mind is uh, that, so I'll say two things. So the first thing is um, there's a great quote from G.K. Chesterton that was kind of like, you know, I have heard by, of him. So yeah. just for the <laughs> record, That's good. Uh, but Neil Gaiman who wrote, you know, he's not a believer, but he, he's a, one of the leading fantasy writers of our time, um, loves this Chesterton quote and, and kind of changed it a little bit, but basically it says, um, children don't read, um, fairy tales to know that dragons exist. They, they read fa- fairy tales to know that dragons can be beaten. And so there's this idea that, uh, Wow. A really good story demonstrates the power of light over darkness. You know, um, wow. the ones that really resonate with us deeply are the ones that tap into that these these real um, fundamental truths of of the cosmos. You know, mm-hmm. which is I think why the Lord of the Rings is so powerful. Like he never mentions Jesus once, but man, that thing is dripping with light and truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing I would say, uh, and so I think that's what you're, you're getting at. This idea that like. Um, teaching your kids to look at stories um, intelligently. Don't just sit there and watch a Marvel movie without your brain turned on and uh, mm-hmm. teach them to talk about it afterwards. What is actually being said here? Um, and, uh, and so uh, having said that the other side of the coin is um, stories are mysterious. Like we, we don't have a whole lot of control over what the Holy spirit is going to do with a story in someone else's heart. Right. We can have high hopes for what we hope, what, what happens when somebody hears my song or uh, reads, re- reads your book. Um, but there's a real sense of having to hold that loosely mm-hmm. and say, my intentions for this thing may not be the Lord's intentions for this thing. Um, it's good to have like a hope for what happens with the thing, but I can't, you know, it, it happens all the time where somebody will tell me, oh man, when I heard this song, here's what I learned from it. And it's utterly not what I intended. <laughs> uh, and so it's better, you know, the, the, with the Holy Spirit's help, the, the work can become more than what you intend. Um, and so if you, if you try to like wrestle it down and make it do what you want it to do, 
um, you're you're going to break this thing. And so um, there's a great, uh, so, so Sally Lloyd-Jones, do you know that name? She wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible. Yep. Which is just an amazing, one of the best gospel yeah. presentations I know. And we read it to our kids. All It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. And she's, she's wonderful. Uh, one of my dear friends. And she, she was telling a story about, she was talking about the importance of story and how story works on us. And she said that um, um, she was at a church and the Sunday school teacher was like, Oh, will you come in and read to, to our kids? You know, so Sally Lloyd Jones finds herself sitting in the Sunday school classroom, all these little kids around her and she opens up the Jesus story with Bible and starts reading, you know, an Old Testament story from it. And she said, while she was reading the story, the kids were literally like uh, moving closer to her as if they mm. wanted to be close to the story itself. And she felt them all coming close and she was fascinated by the power of story. And then she finished the story and the teacher wasn't in the room and she didn't know what to do next. So she said, to my horror, what I heard myself ask the kids was, now what does the story mean? And as soon as she said, what does the story mean? She said, it was as if a physical weight had been placed on their shoulders and they, they all slumped over and the spell was broken. So in one, in one mm. moment, the kids were literally physically drawing close to the teller of the story. And the next moment she'd put this expectation of now you have to take the story and tell me what it means. And the kids just didn't know what to do with it. I've seen that happen myself. Like I remember being in Sunday school years ago and, uh, I was kind of helping the teacher and the teacher read the story of the Israelites crossing the Jordan river. Remember when God dried up the river and they crossed. Um, and it's this amazing story. And like, she stops the story and she, she very well intentioned. And this isn't, she's not a bad teacher, but she said, what are some rivers that God has helped you to cross in your life? Mm. And, you know, kids were like, this kid was mean to me at school one time. And I was nice to him the next day. It was like, but I remember thinking, can we just sit in the fact that a, a river stopped flowing? Hmm. God stopped a river and get, get, let that settle on our imaginations, the, the craziness of, of this thing that happened in the Old Testament, right? And wow. so I think sometimes as Christians, we can be so eager, a little over eager to find the meaning or the application in the story. Hmm. And in doing so, we thwart some great mysterious thing that could be happening inside of us, right? Hmm. Um so your friend, like I, I've done that same thing. I've paused the movie and said, oh, did you guys notice this thing that happened? But there's another part of me that thinks maybe we should just let the movie go. And mm. and and that night at dinner go, hey, let's talk about it. What were the things in the movie that, that you wow. liked or didn't like or whatever? Um, because it, it, there is something really mysterious at work um, mm. yeah, when, you, when you abandon yourself to a story. Flannery O'Connor, uh, who is a Catholic writer, um, she talked about how, you know, her she would write her story, and whatever happens after the writing of the story is none of her business. <laughs> she mm. said, that's that's God's business, not and none of mine. Uh, what happens once the story leaves me? Wow. And I I I admire that. Wow, wow, yeah, it's it's uh it's amazing to think about. You know, that's that's part of the partnership of being a storyteller, being a creative. You're partnering. I mean, literally. It's, isn't that what the original partnership between Adam and God was like? Hey, let's let's do this together. Let's mm. let's co-create here. You know, that's yeah, yeah, very I much a part so. of what the Imago Day is. And then now, even still, on the side of you know, after the fall and redemption of mankind, it's like let's do this together. Mm -hmm. And you let me yeah. do my part, and you do your part. Yeah, He invites us to participate in the yeah. 
advent of his kingdom. And that is just a, a mind blowing idea. Wow. That's so cool. Andrew, this has been amazing, man. I'm, I'm so uh, just so blessed by this conversation. I know that our community has been blessed by it too. And I'm so excited about, it. I cannot wait to dive into the wing feather saga with my kids. <laughs> I'm liter- I am literally putting on order right now. Um, I'm so and good. I'm so excited about that. And then uh, I'm also excited about picking up this one that you just released, The God of the Garden. Um, I think it's going to be really good. Just being able to draw you out a little bit today, I'm super excited about well, man, I'm, and- I'm really grateful. I Once you guys, after you read book one, go watch season one of the animated series. Um, we mm-hmm. have like, angel.com that... Um, we, it's free. You can watch it. And we're deep in season two right now. And we've actually started the, the writing process of season three. So it's, it's projected a seven season saga. We're turning this thing into this big epic show. And I just couldn't be prouder of the team. Um, it's wow. amazing. So wow. yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun wing feather stuff happening right now. So you're just getting started. Make sure you, make sure you do good voices when you read it to your kids. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I get mixed reviews when it comes to my voices when I do that with my kids. It's, <laughs> my daughter just kind of rolls her eyes like dad, stop, you know, and <laughs> my son's riveted. He's like, Oh yeah, come on. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, I like to secretly think that my daughter really likes the voices that she's totally tuned into it, but you know, she's just a little, in the too cool stage. So yes, yes. Well, she's going to have a memory of a dad who was not too cool to try to do good voices. And that's, a good- <laughs> that's awesome, man. Thanks so much for, Oh, where can we follow what you're doing? Where can we pick up on some more stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just Andrew dash Peterson.com. Um, okay. we'll send you to the wing feather saga and you can follow the link to the, to the animated series there. And then, um, the music is there, the rabbit room, which is a ministry that I founded a um, long time ago is, all the links are there. So awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure we put a link right here in the show notes. If you're listening on a podcast platform, if you're watching on YouTube, we'll put it right here underneath the video. But and thanks so much for spending time with me. It's been awesome. Yeah, man. So good to talk to you, Davey. Thank you. What an incredible conversation, man. I know. He he brought a lot to the table, Davey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. I, you know, we... Um, I, I loved talking to him because I love talking about this idea of using story, using your story as a means and a way to process your own pain. Mm-hmm. We talk about this quite often. Um, this really was the impetus behind Nothing Is Wasted in the podcast was as you're talking about your story, you're beginning to process through it yourself. There's cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy that's involved with it. There is a trauma narrative formation that's involved with it is a very practical, very pragmatic way to facilitate some of your own healing. And at the same time, then it also affects other people. You know, as we bear witness to what God has done, it infuses people with hope, with faith when they don't have their own, they're borrowing their faith from you. So I just love this idea of story mm-hmm. and what it does in terms of our, our own healing. Yeah. I think it's that quote of like that grief n- needs a witness. And mm. I, I know from in my own story that I would say there was a turning point in my healing journey when I was able to articulate and say it out loud and get some of the details out. And so I think that, you know, that Andrew talks a lot about developing story and uh, whether it be writing music or writing your story down or saying it out loud. Um, and that can feel really scary, Davey. Like yeah. it can feel really right. scary to feel like if I go there, 
can I recover from getting all those details out? Or is the person I'm talking to trustworthy with some of my story? So there's a lot of layers to it, but I will say I personally, and I've had other people say that, what you're saying of like getting it out and having someone bear witness to our pain is so powerful. Yeah, that's so good. I think two things I just heard you say right there, Amy. One, the fear of... Can I go there or or is this going to cause me to get stuck or to wallow or to, you know, first of all, some of you guys who are thinking that right now, you know, you, it's very valid to feel it because that's the fear. I also think that is a, um, that's a fear that the enemy wants to play on mm-hmm. because he wants you to keep your story silent because if he can keep your story silent, then those two things that we talked about previously won't happen. You won't step into healing and and you won't invite other people into healing. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually by keeping it silent that you're, but because it's suppressing it, because it's shoving it down, it's stuffing it, that you're facilitating being stuck. Yeah. And it starts to boil and bubble over yeah. and you're the only one carrying it and somehow yeah. letting it out be in a safe place, all of that, you know, but what, and maybe you're not a writer. It's okay. But verbally saying it to someone, right, learn right. yourself, but it's that, it lets that pressure cooker off. Yep. Um, yeah. That we've talked about. And that's before. a good distinction. We're not, I don't think we're necessarily, on, we're not only talking about, Hey, write your story. That's not what we're talking about. That is definitely yeah. one means, mm-hmm. one mode of being able to process your story is by writing it. It's a very effective, very helpful mode mm-hmm. of processing your story. Um, you know, we talk about this in the five steps call. I talk about this exhaustively in the position for redemption mini course that, that we teach, but it's the becoming a, an observer of your story, not an object mm-hmm. in your story. So it allows you to step back, take a 30,000 foot perspective and go, okay, I'm asking the question now, how would a godly heroic character in my story handle this situation? Mm-hmm. And when I can remove myself from the emotion of it, then I can have a clear head, more sober minded, make prudent decisions based on that, because I'm now acting as like, I'm I'm partnering with God in the narration of my story moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to just being a victim of my story through the whole thing. Yes. And so that's why I think it's really important to, I think writing is a great way to do that. I think talking about it is a great way to do that. No matter what, I think you've got to begin to externalize it and put labels to things. Yes. And be able to start marking certain points in the journey and going, this was significant and here's why. This person was significant, and here's why. This paradigm shift was significant, and here's why. And that begins to facilitate healing. And so that's what actually, you're going to be afraid that you're going to go there. If you go there, that you're not going to come back. But it's Mm -hmm. actually not going there that keeps you, you know, suppressed in this this dark state of of, of wallowing. I feel like it... For me, and again, it's just me, but I think other people will resonate with this. I, I would ruminate on details mm. of losing our son and and by articulating it when I just felt heard. Like I had a couple people, I didn't, Great. you know, at that point, it was early on, I wasn't sharing it broadly in terms of where I was with the Lord because I was quite angry. And yeah. I think and Andrew mentioned that he went through some anger with the Lord. Yeah. Um, I was. It was a safe space of trusted women who understood and, but I was able to be seen and heard, and it actually freed me, honestly. Mm. Like I, I, I hope that as we encourage 
you all listening and our team here at Nothing is Wasted to articulate our stories, um, that it would be a place of freedom and that rumination and dwelling and holding those details and feeling like you're the only one carrying it could be laid down. That would be the hope and passion there. That's so good. Well, so that, yeah, Amy, the first thing I heard you say earlier was that. And the second thing I heard you say was you got to be choosy with who it is that you're going to share it with, especially initially, right? They need to be safe, trusted people. They need to be people that are going to hold space for that. I think we live in a society where platforms are exalted. So what you, what I find if I'm going to be a critic of society and also, (laughs) if I'm frank, a critic of my own heart where I see my own heart deviate and I can, I can notice it in other spaces of society. And so I'm trying to be very vigilant about my own heart. I don't, I don't want to just like cast stones over here. I like, I fall prey to this too. When you don't feel validated in your circumstances, you can share everything or way too much in spaces that you shouldn't share it with people that should never be trusted with it. Mm. And it's an effort to garner some kind of attention Mm. or in the, in the most trite respect to get some likes or follows on some kind of social media platform. And I think that's extremely dangerous too, right? It is. Because our pain and our story is such a precious thing that it doesn't need to be something that we are reducing to to like capitalizing on get, garnering our own fame or our own glory. And it can it's not uh complete. I don't know how to explain that, but just mm-hmm. when we share, I mean I think we are in a society where you just want to take a picture of your food and post it. Like you almost share mm. every little piece without truly sharing your heart. Yeah. Like really expressing the dark moments that you've walked through. And so it's that dangerous place of like, well, I am sharing, you know, my kids at the playground or this thing I went and did over the weekend and you're kind of posting it. It's out there for people to see, Mm. but are you really being known? Right. Are you really getting feedback? You know, that kind of thing Um, that is so helpful. Uh, So it's this, I think we can feel like, oh, I'm engaging. I'm, letting people know that my day was hard once in a while on social media. But are you really letting your Mm. story out there in a way that brings transformation and healing? And and I get Mm. the fear. I really do, Davey. Like, I know that probably a lot of our listeners have tried to share their stories and gotten resistance or told they were lying or it's not true or it's not as bad as you think. And so, like, to even for us to encourage sharing story could feel quite scary, yeah, it's good. Um, it makes me think, actually, Davey, of, I can't remember how long ago we did this, but I know that Aubrey Sampson, your co-host here on the Nothing yeah. Wasted podcast, she did a masterclass for us. And That's I want right. to get the title yeah. right. It's Discovering and Developing Your ne- Unique Story. And that, again, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you have to be an author and write it and publish it. Yeah. It's just you going down this pathway of 
discovering and developing your own story. And again, it might just be for you or your family or a few friends. Um, And you can access that at the Nothing Is Wasted store or in our Community Plus membership. I wanted to mention that because you might hear us talking about this and like, but I don't know where to start. (laughs) And that would be an incredible place to start. I wanted to make sure I mentioned um, that masterclass because it's uh, very practical and helpful. Right. And again, you can go access that and all of our other masterclasses, nothingiswaste.com slash community plus. And I love that because, um, you know, there are a couple of thoughts while you were talking that I had. My grandfather wrote a book of his story. I mean, he was a missionary in Haiti, but he, and he like self-published it, but he only distributed it to us as family. Nice. So like he wrote down because he was like, this is really important moments of faith to document where God mm-hmm. showed up, but I'm not trying to like go and like, for him, it was like, I just want my family to have this. I want yeah. this legacy to be passed down to his kids and his grandkids, his great grandkids. And so, like, we've got a couple copies. Weston's read it. You know, it's just like this really beautiful thing. And so, for everybody, like, your story is, if nothing else, and this is the most significant thing it is, is a testimony and a documentation of God's faithfulness. Mm. So, don't get caught up in this. I would encourage people, don't get caught up in this, like, platforming. Frenzy and trying to like, I mean, it it can be exhausting to try to like. I've got to share my. I th- here's a rule of thumb I thought about Amy while we were talking. From a platform standpoint, like in social media, what you're sharing and stuff out there in terms of the type of your, I think it's really important to share some of your story out there as well. If you're doing that because you need something from others, uh. social media is not the place to need something. Social media is the place to serve other people. That's great. That's great perspective. To point other people to Jesus, right? To, but like the place that you, when you share things where you need something, you need validation, you need comfort, you need, right, presence, that that's like safe, trusted, close friendships. Yeah. That's a counselor. That's a pastor. Mm-hmm. That's a, you know, it's Absolutely. those spaces right there. So I think it's really important to delineate that, that like you make the shift if you feel like, okay, now I'm going to go serve people with this, mm-hmm. then it can be, I think, on, on a more, you know, then you can kind of pursue those more platform spaces to do that. But it gets really sticky if you need people to validate you from a stage or from a social media or anything like that. Yeah, or from a book it's going to fall flat. It's not going to do what it actually, what you're needing. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. For sure. What a wonderful conversation. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, Davey, I know... We with Andrew Peterson, he was he even said with him when he was writing the adventure series that your son's reading that he didn't intend for it to necessarily have Christian themes. He just wanted to have adventure. Mm-hmm. And it made me think that I did this years ago and we started doing it with my family of like, you can be watching any kind of movie. It doesn't necessarily have to be a Christian themed movie or reading a book or whatever. And um, I want to try to do this again with my family because we've stopped doing it. But like whatever we're watching, that we're looking for those gospel themes Mm. because they're there. They naturally show up the story of rescue, the story of belonging, the story of connection. And um, so I just wanted to mention that because I think that Andrew's so good at that with whether he's writing some of his more theological books or whether he's writing with um, the series for the kids. So, right. Um, well, yeah. eternity is written on our hearts and you're going right. to see it. If you're looking for it, you're going to see it all throughout culture, including the, the movies that are coming out of Hollywood. The, you're mm-hmm. going to see threads of the human condition and the human yes. heart crying out 
yes. for something to sit to satiate and to save. And that's what that's what all of us are, you know, so that's why our stories are written in that way, because we're looking, yes. we're longing for ultimately a, a savior. Yeah. The belonging and the identity and who am I and all of that is there. Yeah. So yeah. Well, pick up all of Andrew's books. While you pick those up, a great thing to listen to while you're reading Andrew Peterson's books is Sleeping <laughs> at Last. I'm gonna tell you that right now. Yes. You should listen to Sleeping at Last. We want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can download and stream his music anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. Again, we want to invite you to five five steps to taking back your story. You can register for the next one at nothingiswasted.com slash start here. We want to invite you to follow us on Instagram at nothingiswastedministries. You can follow me at Davey Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey, our normal co-host at Samp. You can follow Amy at Wholehearted Life, right? This Wholehearted Life. This Wholehearted Life. It's okay. This Wholehearted so Life plus underscore. With an underscore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This Wholehearted Life with an underscore. We'll put that right here so you guys can easily access it. And then we'd love to invite you to rate and review the podcast, whether it's subscribing right here on YouTube, if you consume your podcast via YouTube or another podcast platform, namely Apple Podcasts, we'd love to hear your um, review on this, hear your story through Apple Podcasts. It's always encouraging to read those. Next week, we have a great conversation. Um, Justin Early, Justin Whitmill Early. And um, it's he was a fascinating conversation uh, interview. And so I want you guys to go ahead and take a listen to this little clip from my conversation with Justin Early. It doesn't matter if people recognize it as like, this is, you know, oh, this is real pain or no, it's just, or they're all like the suffering of being a human and it's difficult. And the thing about suffering is you need someone else to walk alongside you with it. Because you were made, this is the title of my most recent book, you're were, you were made for people. And we can dive into that theology. But when I, as I've walked in, through life and just seen, this is the make or break difference. You, We need friendship. And it's precisely the thing that the modern West has forgotten. I long for the church not only to become a place of friendship, yeah because that's how you walk with Jesus, but also to become a place of a witness of friendship, to show the world what we were built for, which is another way of showing them Jesus. And so I would love to see the church become a refuge, a a bonfire, if you will, of of friendship so that all the lonely modern refugees of this time would start to gather around it and see the glory that is Jesus being our friend.